from the red and black, this is the front page. It's Saturday, October 17th. Tonight, Georgia football will face Alabama in a top four showdown. I'm joined by red and black football writers Augusta Stone, William Newland, and Austin Roper to talk about what to look out for as the Bulldogs travel to Tuscaloosa and how our writers think the game will go. Quick disclaimer, we've recorded this maybe 10 minutes before Alabama released its statement saying it's possible Nick Saban could be on the sidelines today. I've kept the conversation in as it's still very possible Saban won't be in Bryant-Denny at kickoff. Still, we have an interesting conversation about how his absence would even affect the outcome of the game, and would people be able to put an asterisk on the win if he's not there. Either way, keep an eye on redandblack.com as news is released throughout the day. And we're here with our Red and Black football beat writers. We've got William Newland. Hey Luke, happy to be here. We've got Austin Roper. Hello, hello. And our EIC, Augusta Stone. Hello Luke, it's a pleasure. To get started, it's Georgia-Alabama, what now, fourth game of the season, almost kind of about halfway through. This is obviously Georgia's biggest test thus far, and the real matchup I think we're going to look at, if I'm correct, is Georgia's defense versus Alabama's offense, right? Yeah, easily. What are we looking at there? What should everyone be looking for? I think one of the first things to be looking for is um... – Georgia's defense against probably the most capable quarterback it's faced so far in Mac Jones. Mac Jones is very good. Uh, he's been taking the reins over at Alabama pretty, pretty strong, I'd say. Um, and and that, I think that with, between him and Najee Harris and all the weapons they have in with the receivers, I think, you know, Georgia's defense has looked really, really good against some competition that has been really, really decent. But I think we're finally getting a look at what exactly does Georgia's elite defense look like against an equally elite offense. And I hate to harken back to, you know, a similar situation last year when Georgia's defense was super elite and then they went against Joe Burrow and LSU. Not saying Mac Jones is any Joe Burrow by any stretch of the imagination, but we've kind of seen this, this play out before not in Georgia's favor. So I think it's big for Georgia to be like, okay, look how dominant we are on defense against a good offense and then just keep going from there. And I, I mean, I will say, I think when Georgia was going up against Auburn, we kind of expected to see what they would do against what was looking like a, a pretty elite quarterback in, in Bo Nix after we did in week one against Kentucky. And they were, they were really able to shut him down. Uh, I think, I think an interesting matchup is, is Georgia's secondary in this game against Mac Jones. We saw against, against Tennessee last week, you know, those back-to-back touchdown passes, kind of the same exact play. Well, I guess they weren't back-to-back, but two touchdown passes on a very similar play, deep ball to the, to the corner of the end zone. You know, Georgia secondary has played really well. They're obviously a really veteran group, but against that, that pass attack from Mac Jones, I think that could be, be a really crucial matchup in this game. But also, the quarterbacks that Georgia's faced so far have been quarterbacks that they've at least played before. Like, with Arkansas, you have Felipe Franks. Obviously, they, pay, they played him um, against Auburn. They have Bo Nix. Obviously, Georgia's played Bo Nix before. And then last week against Tennessee, they had Jared Garantano. Well, they've never played Mac Jones before. They, they, so it's going to be a new quarterback that they're going to go up against. And obviously, he's not a slouch. Um, he leads the nation in passing efficiency. 
He, uh, he is second in the SEC in passing yards per game. So he, he clearly has stepped into that role that Tua had last year. The other thing to look at we were talking about is Alabama's offensive line is massive. Their average height is 6'5", average weight 334. UGA only has Jordan Davis, who is 320. Austin, actually, can we start with you here? Because I was talking to Andy Walsh, sports editor, before this, and you call this offensive line hog mollies, which I'd never heard of before. First off, can you explain what that is and then just talk about the offensive line? Well, yeah, it's not It's not something – hog mollies isn't really a term that I created. I do want to say that. I did not – I don't want to take credit for this term. Um, but basically, when your smallest offensive lineman is 6'3", 324, and, you know, you have, let's see, two, two guys on the offensive line who are over 350, I think that that offensive line can be coined as – a group of hog mollies. I think that's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really something that's up for debate. And this is a, this is an area that I think is going to be very important because everybody likes to talk about Mac Jones. Everybody likes to talk about his receivers and, and rightfully so as well as Najee Harris, but none of it's even possible if the guys up front don't block them. Georgia's second in the SEC in sacks. They have 10 so far this year. And that's something that they haven't really been known for in the past. As a whole, their defense has always been really good, but as far as sacks are concerned, that's not really been their modus operandi, like something that they, they've succeeded often with. Looking at Alabama's offensive line, you have Alex Leatherwood, who could have left last year to go to the NFL draft. He chose to come back a season. He was a former five-star. They have another guy on the right, right tackle position, Evan Neal. He was a former five-star. The three offensive linemen in the middle were um, all four stars. And so it's a lot of talent against a lot of talent. And it's essentially just going to come down to which line, Alabama's offensive line, Georgia's defensive line, can really control, you know, the middle of the field throughout the whole game. Because one thing we haven't really seen yet from Matt Jones is how he handles pressure and consistent pressure throughout the entire game. Obviously, we've seen since he's been the starting quarterback at Alabama that he can handle being in the, in the pocket, spreading the ball around, um, you know, hitting his throws deep, intermediate, short, you know, he can do all of that. But Alabama's offensive line hasn't really faced a defensive line in the front seven like Georgia's. And so if they can consistently get pressure on Mac Jones, I would really like to see how he's able to handle that. Because if he doesn't have the time that he normally does that he's used to having, then how does he react to that? And I think that's going to be a big factor in, in the outcome of the game that not a lot of people are really talking about because it's not flashy. You know, it's not something that everyone really likes talking about um, because when you have three three wide receivers like Alabama does who are nearly averaging 100 yards a game, it's easy to talk about those those weapons, but it's really just, to me, it's going to come down to Georgia's front seven against Alabama's offensive line. That bodes pretty well for Georgia this year, right? I mean, I think Monty Rice and Aziz Ojulari are having like the seasons of their lives. So that's, you know, that's the thing that keeps coming up when I think about this matchup. It's like if Georgia is going to have a really good chance to be Alabama in any year, you know, you think back to the 2017 national championship or the 2018 national championship, 2017 season, like, oh, they should have had them. And then you think back to the SEC championship in 2018, we're like, oh, they should have had them. But this year is the year where like, I feel like if Georgia doesn't get them with the matchups that they have, I don't, I, I just don't know if it's gonna happen, you know, in modern history, because this is the year that Aziz Ojolari 
just creates so he, – he can get to the quarterback better than last year. He was great last year. He's even better this year. That defense is even sharper. So, to me, it's like if they don't find a way to get to Mac Jones to break through the hog mollies, I don't know if – they're going to break through because think about all the personnel, you know, they won't be here forever. And then you can keep reloading, but I just think it's such a lethal combination. I really bought into it after watching them play against Tennessee, you know, just the constant havoc and the constant pressure on Garantano, especially after the second half. So to me, it's like, if they're able to make those adjustments for those really big guys up front and they, they have to, I feel like it's do or die at this point with the personnel that you have, the experience that you have, the year that Alabama's having in general, I just feel like this is the year to exploit it for Georgia. And if they don't, then that's really unfortunate. That's just the way I feel. Kind of similar to last year, how it was LSU. It had been a couple of years of them trying to get at Bama and they finally had other side of the ball offense that could go toe to toe with them. For sure. And the thing we can not avoid talking about is Nick Saban having COVID. So right now, I guess, can someone explain what the situation with that is and what that's actually going to look like on game day? Right now, we know that, uh, you know, Saban had uh, his positive test as well as the athletic director at, um, at Alabama. And it's just, it's kind of up in the air right now what his, what his status is going to be. There's been reports that, um, you know, he's speaking with the SEC and, you know, maybe he'll be, maybe he'll be on the, on the field on Saturday. It seems like a long shot at this point. And it's going to be totally interesting if, if he's not on the field, what kind of impact that will have. Uh, I think there's a lot of speculation as to what, you know, his presence means for that team and what kind of boost they, they uh, you know, he gives them. You know, Austin, do you want to, you know, mention what you saw in the spread? Yeah, yeah. So one interesting thing I noticed was apparently according to the, the sports books, the experts, quote unquote, Nick Saban is worth two points to Alabama and the outcome of the game because before news broke that uh, Nick Saban was positive for COVID and that, you know, he was potentially um, going to miss the game against Georgia, uh, Alabama was a six-point favorite. After the news broke, that dropped down to four. So it, I guess, leaves an interesting little thing to note about the importance of the head coach actually being there. When it comes down to it, if Nick Saban's not on the sideline, I don't really think it's going to matter that much. Um, but it's definitely something that's interesting to watch for. I love hearing Saban's appeals right now, just trying desperately to get back on that sideline. Like, oh, I don't want to put all the pressure on the assistants or, you know, I mean, the way he's trying to just emotionally appeal to the SEC, I don't really know what he's trying to do. I think you know, you just hear all of the chatter around it and all of the mysteriousness about whether his last tests have been positive or negative. I feel like if they had been positive, they would have reported them again. So maybe they have come back negative. You know, like I think back to, I think it was 2007 when Georgia came out for the first time in the blackout jersey against Auburn and everyone was like, oh my goodness, they're in black jerseys. Is that what it's going to be like when Nick Saban comes to the sideline <laughs> of this week's game? Are they going to be like, oh, Nick Saban, surprise, you know, for some sort of morale booster for the what 15,000 fans in Bryant Denny. I'm just so excited to see that. That would be pure chaos and it would make my brain so excited. So if that happens, I'm all for it. I would love to see Nick Saban on the sidelines. I don't think it'll happen. There's a huge chance that people will put an asterisk on this if Georgia wins and Nick Saban's not there. And I think that's even bigger now that we're in the age of the college football playoff. You know, what if something crazy happens and Georgia Alabama don't meet again in the SEC championship? Georgia has this win 
I put a tower this thing quotes I put quotes <laughs> around the, the win for Georgia um and then you know the playoff committee I'm not going to pretend like I know what they think but you know you never know so they could think oh that wasn't a full Alabama team even if Georgia comes out narrowly wins so I think Georgia should want Nick Saban on the sideline and I think that we should all hope that if he's not then they get to meet up again just for fun matchup and just for the true Saban v Kirby that we all want right I think it would be absolutely ridiculous if, if Georgia wins this game same as not on the sideline and that somehow it comes into the deliberations for the college football playoff. That would be, that would be absolutely crazy. I mean, I feel like it practically, might. practically save it or not, this is, I mean, this is the, the benchmark game for Georgia. You know, this, I mean, this could define the, the rest of the season. And, you know, I think in Kirby Smart's mind and the Georgia players mind, whether Saban's on the sideline or not, if they get this win they're I mean, they're going to take that. That's, I mean, that's just a check in the book. Who who do y'all think this game is more important for? Do you think it's more important for Georgia to win, or do you think it's more important for Alabama to win, given the fact that, in the sense of Georgia, like if Georgia comes out without Alabama on the opposite sideline and loses this game, okay, then you you have to start to question whether or not, at least for the time being, whether or not it's ever going to happen for Georgia. Like Augusta was like Augusta said earlier. Georgia loses this game, then that obviously gives them a loss and that puts them in a tie with Florida, who they're going to have to play in a few weeks from now. And so you have to wonder if there's even going to be a rematch of Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship game if Georgia comes out and loses this game. Now, if Alabama loses, then I think that there's still some hope given the fact that everyone else on their schedule is beatable, obviously, and they can also, you know, bring up the fact that Nick Saban wasn't even on the sidelines. I agree with that entirely. And I've been doing a lot of research on this matchup in general. This is not super relevant to like the current landscape, but just in terms of the rivalry, the current win streak for Alabama is at five games straight. It's tied for the longest active streak with a couple of other active streaks. So if they beat Georgia again, it will be the longest ever in the history of the matchup, active street for Alabama beating Georgia six times in a row. To me, that's just embarrassing, um, especially since they don't meet every year. Think about all the different teams they've had to beat them. They've been beaten every year for 13 years. 2007 was the last win for Georgia against an Alabama squad. The other thing about Georgia is that they've lost to Alabama in so many high, high stakes moments that it matters so much more to this team than it does to Alabama. Whether or not you can prove it, I just, I, in my head, you think about that's the reason that Georgia still hasn't won a national championship since 1980. That's the reason that Georgia didn't make it past the SEC championship with Jake Fromm at his peak, you know, and Justin Fields even on the sideline, even though he wasn't played, in my opinion, to the ability he should have been. But you just think about all those teams that should have beat Alabama didn't. The chip that they have to have on their shoulder, whether or not they know it's there or whether or not they're going to admit it's there. I just feel like that rivalry with Alabama is so personal for so many fans. I think it's personal for Kirby, you know, I mean, He'll never admit it, but I think that he does want to be the first assistant to beat him. I think he's the most elite assistant that there is, you know, if you think about in terms of saving assistants head coaching right now. He's the one with the best shot. Lane Kiffin almost got it last week. So it's just all of the all of the stars are aligning. If it doesn't happen, I think it's so heartbreaking for the program. I think it's so heartbreaking for Kirby v. Saban. We don't know if we'll see this matchup again. You know, if they don't meet in the SEC championship, Saban's getting old. He's like 68 or something. So, yeah, I don't know. That's just 
as a person who's followed Georgia, I'm around Georgia fans a lot. This is a personal matchup. And I feel like Alabama just sees it as business as usual. And that could bode well for Alabama because they're less emotional. No, I mean, I, I totally agree for this, this season and for, you know, Kirby Smart's legacy. Uh, I think it's a more important game for Georgia. Because, I mean, for the Kirby Smart era at UGA, it's no matter how, how good they are uh, season to season, you know, you still have that in the back of your head, but they can't beat Alabama. I guess I mentioned that Alabama is the reason, basically, essentially, for Georgia not winning national a national championship since 1980. They literally are that are that reason because I mean you you hard back to 28 the 2018 national championship when Alabama beat them in overtime, the 2012 SEC championship when Alabama beat Georgia, and then went on to dominate Notre Dame in the national championship. So it it does bring up that question, and it's a it's a legitimate concern I would think on the minds of, of Georgia's coaches and players because if they don't then how will they ever I mean hey but but Austin you made that that point earlier if, if Nick Saban's not out there to put in a backup quarterback hey maybe Georgia can pull it up that's right yeah and I I mean I have to do it I have to ask for what everyone's score predictions are oh, I haven't done this yet oh my goodness you gotta okay. come up with them on the fly I'm coming up with it. We always do our go, stuff. Go ahead, William. I, I know you know yours already. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so right now I'm thinking, uh, you know, George is going to cover, cover the spread, but I don't think they're going to come out with the win in Tuscaloosa. I have 31-28 Alabama. I'm definitely not picking against Georgia for once. I feel like I have a track record here at Thread and Black to always pick against Georgia when it's a big game, but I have faith this year. I really do. So let me pull out a score. I'm going to go – 35-31 Georgia. Yeah, and then I, my, my prediction is going to go along the lines of Augusta's. I actually surprisingly um, am confident in Georgia's chances this weekend, um, given everything that's going on. But I do think it's going to be pretty close, um, obviously. So I'm, I'm going to go, we'll say 37-33 to 33, Georgia. A high-scoring Alabama game. Yeah. Can you believe we're saying this? I'm just <laughs> no. like, think about it. Like, ugh, the world. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on and talking, and I'm sure we'll be excited for the game. Austin, you're going to the game, correct? Correct, yeah. I'll be there. Good luck in Titletown. Thanks, Thank guys. And that was the front page. Again, special thanks to Augusta Stone, William Newland, and Austin Roper for talking today. Head to redandblack.com for comprehensive game day coverage of UGA football. The front page is a production of the Red and Black Publishing Company, and we're sponsored by the Cox Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership. Thanks for listening. Hope you tune in next week.